Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. When we hop into our car, or board an airliner, or sit atop a tall building, we're putting a whole lot of trust in a bunch of strangers. Those individuals who designed that car, that airplane, or that skyscraper, we're placing our very lives in their hands, and for the most part, they don't let us down. Then there's life itself, our life. Who designed our life, and why isn't it working out very well sometimes? Let's talk with Dr. Jennings about something he calls God's design laws for life. He joins us today via Skype. Dr. Jennings, what do we need to know? Well, we need to understand how reality works as designed by the creator of reality. Hmm. God is the builder, creator, designer, sustainer of reality. He built life. He built energy, matter. And so God's laws are the laws upon which reality operate. We can go, we're going to go through some of those in the show today and show how they work. Mm-hmm. But the general principle, you can think of this in a very simple way, is the laws of health. You cannot have health in violation of the laws of health. Mm-hmm. That's very simple. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a very simple, very general, very broad statement And we can be very precise on some very specific types of laws and how they operate. And as we learn intelligently to cooperate with them, you cannot avoid healthy outcomes when you harmonize with the laws of health. That's good news. Yes, yes. You really can't. So let me give you one that maybe we haven't talked about as often on the show. And we can go through the big ones, the real big ones. But but here's one, the law of exertion. Hmm. If you want something to get stronger, you must exercise it. It is a law. Because if you don't use it, you lose it. Now, this isn't just muscle tissue. If you want strong math ability, you work problems. Strong musical skill, practice your instrument. You want strong critical reasoning abilities, you have to actually critically reason. And thus, the Bible says, the mature are those who develop by practice Mm. the ability to discern the right from the wrong. We aren't just gifted with discernment skills. This is something we develop by examining various things. So think about this. You decide to take a mathematics class, and it could be basic math, it could be algebra, it could be calculus. I don't care. Take a math class. And then you go in and your teacher gives you the answer key. And so here's going to be a test next week, and questions 1 through 20, and question 1 is 47, question 2 is 38, (laughs) and you memorize the answers. So when you take the exam, you put them down in in right order, and you get 100%. And that's all you've learned. You've memorized the right answers to the questions. Mm. Do you understand how to do math? No, no. This is how many people approach Christianity. And this is why many people go, why is the Bible so hard to understand? Why doesn't it just tell us the answers? Hmm. Because God doesn't want you simply to know the right answer. He wants you to know why it's the right answer. So that if you're presented with a new circumstance, a new situation that he hasn't given you the answer for, you understand the principles behind it so that you can calculate and or discern the right from the wrong. That's maturity. And the only way you get that ability is to exercise those capacities in practice. 
You know, using your example there, Dr. Jennings, if the devil comes at you with that same problem, but from a slightly different perspective, you're not going to know what to do if you simply know the answer. But if you know how you arrived at the answer, you're better off, you're, you're better prepared to deal with that slightly different perspective that the devil may throw at you. Am I right in saying that? That's right. And much of religion in the world, including Christian religion, teaches doctrines. Mm. They teach you the answers. Answer, yeah. But they don't teach you why those are the answers or how we got those answers or where those answers come from. They think they do because they'll show you a Bible text with a proof text and they'll say, see, here's where the answer comes from. It's right there in the Bible. Okay, but why does the Bible say that? Mm -hmm. They don't still teach you the reasons the Bible teaches it that way. Okay, all right. And God wants us to, it says, Isaiah 118, come let us reason together. Mm -hmm. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white like snow, the red like crimson, the made like wool. God connects reasoning with him with cleansing from sin. Paul says in Romans 14, 5, every person should be fully persuaded in their own mind. It's not sufficient for you to know the right answer if you're not persuaded as to the reason it's the right answer. Okay. Okay? And so this is a law. It's a law of exertion. If you want that ability, you've got to practice that ability and develop that capacity. Now, this law of exertion does also apply to physical. If you want stronger physical muscles, you've got to exercise them. But the corollary to the law of exertion, the opposite of that, or the response to that, is the law of restoration. As a finite being, after you expend a resource, mentally taxing yourself, studying multiple hours, physically exhausting yourself, working in the art, after you expend a resource, you must rest and recover in order to have more to expend. If we don't get proper rest and recovery, then we burn out and we exhaust ourselves. Even Jesus, as a human being on earth, regularly took time away to rest and recover. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And there are two types of rest. There's the physiological rest that we get with sleep and with just giving our, you know, if you're a pitcher, you give your, your arm several days between games to recover. Mm -hmm. There's the physiologic rest. But then there is the spiritual, psychological rest, which God prescribed one day in seven to set aside the cares, the burdens, the worries, the responsibilities, and step into that space and time with your creator and rest, rejuvenate, relax, unwind in a trust relationship with your God. And this is restorative, and the neuroscience shows it's quite restorative. It turns off your amygdala, it uh, reduces inflammatory cascades, you have better health, you live longer, less dementia, all for people who take this weekly sabbatical to rest. It's one of the design laws on how God has built us. But there are many of these design laws. And so I'll give you two quick examples. But the point being is you come to understand them intelligently, you can participate in them intelligently and grow with them. Now, Dr. Jennings, you're talking science here, I can tell. And science is not exactly the friend of man, according to a lot of people these days. What, how are we supposed to believe science when science has been proven wrong in the past? I don't think any true science has ever been proven wrong. The application of science, you know, using leeches to, to take the fever out of you, bleeding you, that was science. That was a science thing once upon a time. Charles, that wasn't science. That was um, superstition and myth. 
They believed there were evil humors floating around in the blood that needed to be bled out of the person. Show me the scientific evidence for evil humors floating around in the blood. All right. So that was superstition and myth masquerading as science. Can I say that? Yes, you can say that. So so true science is always sustained by the reality of God's laws and only operate on God's laws and will ultimately lead back to God's laws and will always harmonize with true scripture, true interpretations and understanding of scripture. So if you ever see a apparent conflict between scripture and true science— it will be because somebody's interpreting one of them wrong. Okay, okay. It could be scripture is interpreted wrong. Galileo comes along and says the earth is not the center of the universe. The earth is ro- rotating around the sun. At that time, the theologians of the day said, oh, no, the Bible says the earth is the center of the universe. So everything rotates around the earth. And so he was considered to be a hypocrite and he was imprisoned. Mm-hmm. But we now know that their interpretation of scripture was wrong. Scripture is not wrong, just the way they interpreted it. Sometimes people's understanding of science is wrong. For instance, uh, the example you gave about the evil humors, or people will look at Genesis and they will think that Genesis teaches the creation of the entire universe, when in fact, if you read the Bible as a whole, it says in Job 38 that the sons of God sang together for joy when the earth was created. Mm-hmm. So there had to be other intelligences already in existence when the earth was created. So Genesis 1 is most likely not the entire universe. It is the solar system. Okay. So there, there's so many of them. I gave two. When you understand design laws, you understand God is sustaining his design laws, and any deviations from his design laws injure the deviant yes. or injure those who are out of harmony. So the big one is the law of love, and it's the principle of beneficence. It's the principle of giving. Greater love is no man that he give his life for a friend. And so God, as he created his universe, this is the foundational protocol upon which life is built. Everything that lives gives. Lots of examples all through nature and all through living systems, but the most easiest for people to see is every breath you take, you give away carbon dioxide to the plants, and the plants give oxygen back to you. Mm -hmm. This is a never-ending circle of giving upon which life is built. This is the law of love built right into nature. It is a law called the law of respiration. But you're free to transgress that law. You have the freedom to tie a plastic bag over your head and selfishly hoard your carbon dioxide to yourself. (laughs) But if you do that, the wages of that is death. Sin transgresses God's law, which are the protocols upon which life is actually constructed to operate. And the only result in doing that is ruin and death. The big infection to Christian thought is this idea that God's laws are not design laws. They're simply rules made up like human beings make up. And therefore, when you break them, God has to oversee the the breaches of those those laws and inflict punishments for breaking the laws. Thus, God becomes the source of death. And he inflicts upon the disobedient. And thus, we need not to be cured from sin or healed from sin. We need to be protected from a wrathful and angry God. This is Satan's infection on the Christian world. It has resulted in so many deep distortions of the scripture that people are more afraid of God who's trying to save them than the sin in their life, which is killing them. Wow. So sometimes what they call an act of God is actually an act of man ignoring God. That could certainly be the case. You know, persons who smoke cigarettes. I have one patient who was very angry at God because their lungs weren't working better. And they've been praying that God would heal their lungs and get their lungs working better. And I said, well, have you stopped smoking yet? And they said, no. Okay. So they're violating the laws of health while they're asking God to heal their lungs. Well, that would mean God would basically have to, number one, overrule their free choice. Mm -hmm. And that's the law of liberty we haven't talked about. That's a design law. Mm -hmm. They have the liberty. And they want God to change his law. Well, God does not change his law to meet a sinner in sin. He changes the sinner to be in harmony with the law. Mm -hmm. So if you tied 50-pound weights to each foot and jumped in the ocean— 
and then pray to God for good health and a long life. (laughs) The only way you will continue to live is if you are brought back into harmony with the law. The weights are cut free and you're brought out of the water into the air. So that law of liberty then allows us to accept or reject. Is that what you're saying? So the law of liberty is a law of relationships. Love only exists in an atmosphere of freedom. You violate liberty in relationship, threaten any person in your relationship with your wife, spouse, whatever, that with harm or coercion for not loving you, and love will be damaged. A desire to rebel will be instilled. They won't want to stay in a relationship. They want to get freedom back. If they voluntarily stay, then over the course of time, they slowly lose the ability to think and reason for themselves, and they become what I call a shadow person, a person who is the shadow of the one they've surrendered to, and they see the world through the lens of that person's mind and no longer think for themselves. They lose their individuality. This is a law because it's predictable, and it's testable, predictable, reproducible, and God's laws are constants. They don't waver. This may give some people insight into why Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that the power of sin is the law. How is the law the power of sin? That example I just gave about jumping in the ocean with weights on your legs. What causes that to be destructive? The unwavering, unchangeable law of respiration. Mm. That gives the power that destroys when you break it. Okay, And it's not an infliction from a ruling authority to say, I'm going to take an action against you. The ruling authority, if that was you know, the, your father watching you jump in the ocean, the power that's going to destroy you is the law of respiration as you break it. But your father's tearful and sad and heartbroken. And that's our heavenly father. He hates it when we choose to do these things to ourselves. And thus he loved us so much he sent his son not to condemn the world, but to save it, to restore it, to, to bring us back into harmony with his design or his law. That's why he will write his law in our hearts and minds. He reproduces in us his designs for life. God's design laws for life has been our show today, Dr. Tim Jennings. Listener, ComeAndReason.com. I don't know what your learning style is, listener, but ComeAndReason.com has something. If you want to see something, if you want to hear something, if you want to read something, there are books, there are videos there, there are podcasts. You can learn more about what Dr. Jennings talks about on these shows week after week right there at ComeAndReason.com, and I invite you to visit there. Dr. Jennings, thank you, as always, for being with us today and sharing your heart. Thank you. Always enjoy it, Charles. And until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Come and reason.